Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly explanation of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, it's a very important comic we're doing this week, listeners, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's the first comic to have been published while one of your hosts has been alive. Gasp. And it's the first comic to be published after the the birth of former menswear drummer Matt Everett. Matt was born in September 1972. Mm. This comic we're covering today was published on the 14th of December 1972. And if you've been paying attention you'll know that that's only two days after the first birthday of Johnny Dean from Off of Menswear. So that's quite exciting. Gosh. So, current tally, <laughs> Earth 2 podcast, regular hosts alive one, members of Menswear alive two. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Takes a big drink of water after that preamble. Of course. Peter, tell the listeners what we're doing this week. Today, with one magic word, Shazam! Calling down the voice of seven thunders. <laughs> The original Captain Marvel, you might say. The real Captain Marvel, let's all be honest. Yes. The real Captain Marvel, yes. Listeners with long memories might remember a couple of years ago now, we did an episode that we both really enjoyed doing, actually. Yes. Uh We did our episode on the MF Enterprises Captain Marvel. Myron Fass and his short-lived publishing house and his version of Captain Marvel, who came up against people with names like The Ray and The Bat and and (laughs) Dr. Fate. (laughs) It was wonderful. Remember the MF Enterprises, Dr. Fate. He was French, a detail which I overlooked (laughs) in my original prepping, which was ridiculous. And the Ghost Patrol and other rip-off homages. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And there's a guy called Tarzak. (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> who confusingly lived underwater, and there were the volcano people, uh-huh. and there was the robots from the future, and there was Vapor Man, and there was Colonel Cold, who looked like Leonard Nimoy, all wrapped up on a cold day. There was Mr. Mr. Brilliant, Brilliant, yes, who whose uniform was a pair of brown trousers and a white dress shirt. <laughs> he he looked like an, he looked like Dan DeDito on a bad day. He did yes. Did he stand up well with Mr. Fantastic and Mr. Terrific? Well, you can decide that, listeners. If you haven't heard that episode, it was early 2021, I believe, wasn't it? Something like that. I'll take your word for it, yes. We'll probably have posted a link to it on the socials, Mm -hmm. but now as a reminder. Mm -hmm. Because that episode has an awful lot of the legalities concerning the fate of the original Captain Marvel. Which we're not going to fully go into, but Peter will give you a quick reminder. Yes, well, back in the day, don't have the dates to hand, Fawcett Comics were sued by DC Comics... National Periodical Publications, as they were known, because they said Captain Marvel was basically a rip-off of Superman. And after much, much courtroom action, yes. the whole thing was eventually settled and uh, Fawcett stopped publishing Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was actually outselling Superman in the Golden Age. Yes, outselling Superman by a large amount. Mm-hmm. Beyond sort of cape and flying powers and secret identities or reporter, they're very, very different. I mean, it's obvious that characters like Superboy and Supergirl were obviously brought in as a result of Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel yes. and all this sort of yes. stuff. It's really you obvious can definitely it's, see that, yes. that it was there was a lot of nonsense going on. So mm-hmm. Fawcett were kind of getting out of the comic publication game by that point anyway uh-huh. and all that sort of stuff. So the name Captain Marvel wasn't being used, which is why Myron Fast made use of it. And then as we discussed when we did the the MF Enterprises, Captain Marvel. It was around about the time that Myron was publishing that Marvel Comics Supremos decided, hang on, we should have a Captain Marvel. That's a perfectly good name and we're Marvel Comics. Yes, Isn't that right? That is correct. And they kind of bought the trademark off of Myron Fass for a paltry sum, which has affected the character's name ever since. Yeah. 
Myron sold it for a bag of balloons and a pencil, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's why when, when DC brought Captain Marvel back after licensing him from Fawcett, they couldn't call the comic Captain Marvel because Marvel Comics had been publishing their own Captain Marvel for a few years by then, and he'd gone from being the white and green-clad Cree warrior to the blonde Goldilocks chap that eventually died in the big important first Marvel graphic novel. There's obviously been other Marvel Captain Marvel since, a number of them. Mm-hmm. But if you look back at the socials round about the time that we did the MF Enterprises, Captain Marvel, we posted a few representative images of them. Exactly did, yes. It's a good excuse for you to check out the, the Instagram of the Earth 2 podcast, just the Earth 2 podcast, if you're on Instagram, or scroll all the way back on our Facebook page. Or if you DM me nicely, I'll send you a link. <laughs> it's quite a long, torturous history, and it's because Marvel claimed the trademark by publishing their Marvel character. That's why ultimately there were two movies out in the cinema four years ago and the one with <laughs> the guy in the red costume with the yellow lightning bolt in his chest, his film had to be called Shazam and the character couldn't be referred to as Captain Marvel at any point in the story. No, <laughs> which is appalling. It's ridiculous, really. But the funny story I've, I've told yeah. many times is that my mum, who's a devout Marvel Universe fan, went to see Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. She kind of turned to me at the end and went, um... Where was Captain Marvel then? Because she was expecting the guy in the red suit to turn up at some point. I said, that that blonde lassie was Captain Marvel. What? Uh. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's interesting because obviously Shazam, as, as he is, he did interest in a few years recently. The, mm-hmm. the first movie did fairly well. The second one didn't, which is a shame because I loved it. Yeah. Made with real care by everyone that made the first one. If you were invested in the first one, you'd get a lot of a lot out of it. Yeah. There's been the farce of the Black Adam movie, which is another Shazam-related character who we will talk about in the podcast Later not on. before too long. Mm-hmm. And the character has had a couple of relaunches recently. Mm-hmm. Mary got a series all to herself briefly, and now Mark, all is right in the world because Mark Wade is writing a Shazam ongoing title, and the character I believe is being referred to as the Captain. The Captain with lovely Dan Mora art. It's fantastic. Check it out, folks, if you haven't already. Yeah. So you know things. Are moving and you know, Mark Wade back at DC, it's, it's heaven, quite frankly. So, a question I've been dreading because I have to give my answer to it. Peter, when did you first encounter the original Captain Marvel? Can you remember? It's a combination of things. I can't remember exactly which one came first, but I think it might have been in a Hostess Twinkie advert right. in one of the comics at the time. The Minerva Menace. Yes, I think it, it was definitely in an advert okay. in a comic first. But the first Shazam story I remember reading, it was. Do you remember in primary school, if it was raining at interval time, you know, playtime, you would uh, stay inside and, you know, you would read? We did that occasionally. Mm-hmm. We were quite tough in Fox Bar. We would, we would still go outside if it was still raining a little bit. You yeah. know, it had to be really chucking it down for us to stay in. Well, I remember one day, it must have been about eight, I think, something like that, seven or eight. It was chucking it down and we were told just to stay in. And they opened up this magic drawer that was in the back of the classroom. And in it were piled a load of comics. And one of them was a Shazam 100-pager, and I picked that up, Interesting. and I read, I think it was issue 14. Okay. I can't be 100% certain, because they had that. They also had a World's Finest 100-pager. Cool. don't know how they got these 100-pagers, but yes, it was great. Loads of other comics there. Brilliant. Yeah, I just read through it, and I just hoped it would rain more often, so I'd get a chance to read more of these stories. But yeah, that's the first time I've read one. I think the first one I actually saw available to buy was uh, issue 34, the classic Captain Marvel Jr. versus Captain Nazi cover. Yes, which I think... Is one I'm going to petition us to do, because I'm pretty sure that some other characters mm. appear in it briefly, and mm-hmm. it looms large in my legend, which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about yourself? Well, I don't want to labour this point. My dad, who's been gone for a while now, died in 2010. When he was younger, he had read 
some comics with the original Captain Marvel. And if he hadn't, I don't think we'd probably be sitting here doing this right now, to be honest. Yeah. He bought me a couple of issues of Shazam when I was very young, when I was about five or six. Uh-huh. Right about the time that I would have encountered the GSA for the first time in the pages of JLA issue 170 odd. Because uh-huh. the first issue, I had two, there were two issues of Shazam that I remember having. The one that you just mentioned there with Junior fighting Captain Nazi. Oh, really? Yep. And the one, a couple of issues earlier, where the spectacular cover, I think it's it's either 32 or 33, I can't remember. It's one that we'll be doing because it features another Golden Age superhero on it, where Minute Man is busting through the door shouting, watch out for that weight! And the big comedy Monty Python style umpteen ton weight is breaking <laughs> over Captain Marvel's head as he's tied to a chair and Cap saying, what weight? Perfect. And I would have read both of them a hundred times. And my main memory of why it stuck in my head was just that my dad had told me that he'd read them. He told me that he'd also read Captain Marvel Jr. Mm-hmm. And me being my dad's son, occasionally my dad would call me Jr. And that all sort of stuck in my head. I remember being really struck by the dynamic artwork in the last couple of issues. I think it was, was it Alan Weiss or Don Newton? Yes, Weiss, something like that. Uh, both, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Don Newton did the world's finest stuff afterwards, but yeah. I think uh, Alan Weiss certainly did it towards the end. We'll get proper details on those when we get to the stories and issues mm-hmm. in question. Yeah. But I remember just being struck because this one, the one with Junior punching out Captain Nazi in the fountain of cover, yeah. had a recap of Captain Marvel Junior's origin. And I was fascinated by the fact that Junior said Captain Marvel to change rather than saying Shazam, which Billy did. Yeah. And in a similar way to the way I was captivated by these other versions of the Flash and Green Lantern that popped up with the Justice Society that you didn't see that often. I was more captivated by Captain Marvel Jr., mm-hmm. which is why I was so pleased with what Jack Dylan Grazer and Adam Brody did and why, how exciting it was to see Junior sort of forefronted in the Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. It's weird because for the whole of my life ever since... Wherever possible, if I ever saw a comic that had Captain Marvel or Captain Marvel Jr., whatever on the cover, I would buy it. Yeah. Because I was bought these first couple of issues of Shazam just as the comic was finishing. Uh-huh. I remember seeing the very final issue on a spinner rack in a paper shop in Baisley and being like, eh! but my folks didn't stop to buy me it, of course, story <laughs> of my life. And it was years later before I got a hold of that. Yeah. In the early 90s, when I became a proper DC collector, one of the first things I did was start collecting issues of Shazam. And it was nice to get a hold of the, the ones that I'd had as a little boy yeah. again. As characters, I mean, my, my affection for them is, is limitless. I mean, I got a Shazam tattoo this year. It was a birthday present for my sister, the lightning bolt. I've been meaning to get that done for a long time. Uh-huh. I saw the first Shazam movie 12, 13 times in the cinema. 12 <laughs> times, I think. <laughs> I have a cinema card, you see, listeners. This one's been kind of hovering in interview for a little while now. You'll see the house ads that I've been posting on socials over the last couple of weeks to kind of hype it. And I'm really glad it's here because we're going to do a few Shazam stories over the next year or two. We're not going to do every issue of this series. We're going to do the ones that either feature other Golden Age heroes, like I said. Yeah. There's an issue where Lex Luthor transfers over to what yes. would become known as Earth S. There's the epic JLA story from 136 through 138, which mm-hmm. we'll be doing, obviously. Yes. That's a little while. That's a couple of years away still, as the crow flies. It's nice to finally welcome the original Captain Marvel to the podcast. It certainly is. This has been a David Steele monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I tell the lovely listeners all about this cover? I would love it if you did. Okay. So, as I said at the start, with one magic word, Shazam! That's what's emblazoned at the top, in between the DC Shazam logo and the 20 cents button. First brand new issue, it proclaims. The original, Captain Marvel, it says. And just to prove it, the big red cheese is standing there looking all happy to the left-hand side of the logo. And underneath all this... Superman is Superman. Superman is standing there. Yes. Pulling back a curtain and he's got his hand out because he's introducing the readers to a new character. We have a picture of a boy in blue trousers, a red top with some yellow piping, 
black hair with dots for eyes, <laughs> and he's standing, looking all firm and authoritative. And there's a big, massive boom, because there's a thundercloud there, bolt of lightning streaking down in the classic Shazam logo style, and that turns him into the big red cheese himself, the world's mightiest mortal, Captain Marvel, who is standing there, fists on hips, beaming again with his tiny eyes. Yep. Fantastic. Tiny eyes, like two tiny butter beans. Do you know the Vic Greaves and Bob Mortimer song, Tiny Eyes? Yes, I haven't heard that in years. Yes. Uh-huh. Tiny eyes, so tiny and small. Listeners, I might post that on the socials. It's been commented by other people it's interesting to have Superman standing there announcing them, given that Supes is responsible yeah. for them ceasing publication. But it kind of makes sense because he is the icon of DC Comics and it is a big thing. Yeah. A huge thing. Absolutely. To have his basic competitor, you know, right there. So it's like, yeah, all is forgiven, come in. Yeah. And it's interesting because DC, as I said at the top, I think, DC licensed all the Shazam and Fawcett characters from Fawcett Publications, mm-hmm. but they, apparently they didn't buy them outright until 1991. Yeah. So even, as we say, when every issue of Shazam was published, or the every issue of World's Finest, or every appearance in DC Comics Presents, mm-hmm. or Legends, or Justice League, or Shazam New Beginning. All-Star Squadron. All that, yep. DC were starting to pay a fee to use them. It's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> in the wake of Christ, obviously, is this jumping way ahead. There was a couple of false starts with the way he was sort of integrated into the main continuity. He was a member of Just League for a few issues. Mm-hmm. Roy Thomas, it seems, was forever being stalled as far as getting a, an ongoing book started. Then Jerry Ordway had a crack with his hardcover graphic novel in the mid-90s and a really, really good series that ran for a few years. Yeah. Then Cap joined the Justice Society for a while, which was great. Mm-hmm. Then obviously, like everyone else, he was rebooted during the New 52 yeah. period, a backup strip in Justice League. Mm-hmm. And it was that sort of version that the movies kind of took the lead from yep. so it's interesting that they kind of seem to be trying to get him kind of back to his roots a little bit nowadays yeah and in that new 52 series he was rebranded as Shazam and not Captain Marvel that's right that's the first time that the character was properly renamed because one thing that I had as a little boy a miming for the benefit of our YouTube viewers I had a little Corgi motor vehicle which was like a yellow oh, racing car which fantastic. had fantastic Mm-hmm. Don't know what it is, but I had that at one point. There's an advert, actually, in, that we'll probably post when we get to it. Uh-huh. Around about 78, 79 of yeah. Captain Marvel running towards that and Batman running to the Batmobile and Superman running towards a vehicle. I've got a couple of videos with the cartoon series, some episodes of the cartoon oh, yeah, uh-huh. series on it. You know, well. uh-huh. We've both seen the movie serial, I'm sure. Yes, uh-huh. it's excellent. It's one of the best ones. Yeah, we both thrilled at Cap being included in Kingdom Come, didn't we? Of course, yes. You know, it's, it's weird for a character that was so popular the first time round, he's... I think they've, they've tried to kind of keep him going, but he's mm-hmm. not, it's never really quite taken off. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah. But we do have great hope for the current Mark Wade series, so yes, it has yes. been excellent so far. The fact that Mark Wade is writing it is hope enough that you know they'll, they'll keep, it go, keep it going as long as he wants to do it, I would hope. Yes. So what we're doing with issue one, listeners, there's sort of three stories in this. There's a reprint at the back from an issue of Captain Marvel Adventures mm-hmm. from 1946, mm-hmm. which we're not going to do. The first little chapter in this comic is a retelling of Billy's origin. The first story starts off with Billy bumping into a man in the street called Mr. Binder, who's obviously a reference to Otto Binder, who worked on him in the past. <laughs> and this guy says, Billy Batson, you've been missing for 20 years. You haven't aged. And Billy says, I'll explain. It's a long story, Mr. Binder, but you just wouldn't believe it. And then for the next few pages, we get a retelling of his origin. Billy, the orphan boy on the street selling newspapers, the big man in the tall hat, taking him down into the subway, the magical subway train that took him to the cavern where the wizard was sat in his chair. Billy walks past the seven deadly enemies of man. The wizard commands him to to say the word Shazam. The big block of granite drops on the wizard, and then this ghost appears and speaks to, to Captain Marvel. 
you know, and then at the end of this little recap, Billy heads off to have his, his first adventure. Now, Billy sort of thinks to himself in panel three of page six. That was the beginning. For the next few years, I made good my promise. I mean, Captain Marvel's promise. I fought evildoers everywhere, and I usually won. Then the world's wickedest scientist found a way to exile me. Well, exile's over, and I'm going after the man who caused it. Yes, listeners, we tried to get hold of Asher Angel and Zachary Levi to see if they'd help us out with some of the voices, but they didn't get back to us, so... So instead, you're stuck with me. Maybe in the future we'll get them to, to help us out. Yeah, and then a little caption runs out page six, and it says... For the story of Captain Marvel's strange 20-year absence, check out the next story, quick! The excitement's just begun! Yes, so we're back to another page one. We have a massive Shazam logo. And at the top it reads, Shazam is the magic word for the original Captain Marvel. And a caption for a small inset panel of Billy Batson running along the street says, It's been only seconds since we left young Billy Batson, but in those few moments he has heard the sound of gunshots. Holy moly, they're coming from the next street. Shazam! There's a massive... Boom! And a big cartoon lightning bolt that looks suspiciously like a drawing on my left arm. Captain Marvel is now running along the street and he says, Now let's see what this is all about. Some pow-pow sound effects for off-panel, off-camera, and then we have a caption box that reads, The World's World's Wickedest Wickedest Plan. Plan. Story by Denny O'Neill, art by C.C. Beck, editing by Julius Schwartz. Yeah, and in the first panel of page two, we see there's a car speeding along a busy street. Some bad guys in it, and they're firing at the police car that's following them. You see a big, aroo! I bet you were expecting a proper police siren there, listeners, because <laughs> you've been spoiled by those seven soldiers of victory episodes. Yes. Police sirens at chases, and Cap observes all this going on, and he thinks, Criminals, running from the police. I see things haven't changed much in the 20 years I've been away. There are still good guys and bad guys, and I'm still on the side of the good guys. And with that, he runs into the road, stands in front of the car that the police are pursuing, and stops it. There's a crash sound effect as the bonnet crinkles up as Cap stops it in his tracks. And from inside the car, one of the bad guys cries, Yipes! A human roadblock! And in panel three of page two, we see that the two bad guys, phenomenally dressed, Yes. One guy wearing a green jacket and sort of tie that Peter would wear, I think, to be honest. It certainly is. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Back in the day. Yeah, very wide kipper tie with some orange circles on it. He's wearing mm-hmm. brown and black striped trousers. He must have stolen them from Clark Kent or Barry Allen. And his pal is wearing a purple jacket and a white polo neck. Black trousers. The pal's got a thick blonde moustache. Fantastic. So they're firing back at Cap in panel three. Their bullets are ricocheting off him. And the guy in the green jacket, he cries, Charlie, do, do you see what I see? Yeah, Julie. Either the bullets are bouncing off him, or we're using very inferior bullets. Very inferior bullets is in black type, almost like it's a brand name. That's fantastic. So yes, to recap, Julie's the guy in the green jacket, and Charlie's the guy in the purple with the polo neck. Captain Marvel chases after them, grabs them by the, looks like by the hair in one case, and the jacket, putting them back, saying, Yep, things haven't changed much at all. Gotcha. Yeah, he's obviously reflecting the fact that they're still bad guys. Final panel of page two. A policeman, very smiley-faced policeman and his pal, are leading away Charlie and Julie, and the cop says, uh, Thanks a lot, mister. No thanks are necessary, officer. I was just doing my job. Over the page, nice silhouette shot of the bad guys being led towards the police car. Captain Marvel says, Mind telling me why you were chasing these men? 
They stole a lot of electronic supplies from a warehouse, transistors and stuff like that. We figure they're working for someone else. Cap thinks to himself in the next panel, Hmm, I'll bet I know who the someone else is. And standing beside him is a young boy in a green t-shirt with astonishing early 70s hair. And then next time an older man, going bald, heavy set face, wearing another very spectacular tie that only Peter could pull off in real life. Oh, yes. They watch him. The boy in the green t-shirt says, Pardon me, sir, aren't you Captain Marvel? And the balding man says, Sure he is. I remember him from when I was a little kid. He doesn't look a day older. In the next panel, as Cap flies off, the boy in the green t-shirt cries after him, Where have you been, Captain? Yeah, tell us what happened to you. And Cap cries back, Not now, folks. I have work to do. And besides, if I told you, you'd just never believe it. Gets a close-up in panel four of what he says. They wouldn't either. I was there and I'm not sure I believe it. I remember the whole Marvel family was gathered outside City Hall. And that's what we see in the final panel. We see Freddy, Captain Marvel Jr. in his blue uniform, and Mary in her uniform. It's very similar to the Captain that it's red, but there's a, a broader lightning bolt. She has a skirt, obviously, instead of the leggings. Cap's narration continues. My sister, Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr. and I were being honoured by the mayor. All our friends were there. Yes, we see the mayor, who's a, an older man with seating white hair, reading, obviously, from his script, from his speech. You can see silhouettes of lots of people behind them. In the first panel of page four, Cap's narration continues. Suddenly, we were caught in a strange ray and pulled into the sky, along with some others in the crowd. Yeah, it's like... Little blue waves of energy coming down from the sky and everyone is being drawn up like the three Marvels, their capes are being drawn up behind them. And we can see Mary maintaining her dignity by keeping her skirt down. Quite right, Mary. Cap's thinking, holy moly. And his narration continues in panel two. Before any of us could act, we were drawn into deep space. I caught a glimpse of a familiar spaceship. Yes, we see the silhouettes of Cap, Freddy and Mary being pulled up into space, silhouettes of the other people being drawn after them. And... What looks basically like a, a blimp-shaped green spaceship cutting through the void above them where this blue beam is coming from it and they're being drawn towards it. It's like Captain Proton's rocket ship from Star Trek Voyager. I don't remember that episode. <laughs> I don't think I've consciously seen an episode of Voyager this century. Gosh, my goodness. Yeah. There you go. Listeners, what was your favourite of the main three revival Star Trek series of the 80s and 90s? Let us know. Voyager was my least favourite. It was like a photocopy of Next Generation that was someone was looking at yes. through a telescope from the other side of town. I wasn't a fan. There you go. The answer's Deep Space Nine. <laughs> anyway, Cap's narration for panel three of page four. And I knew who was inside. The world's wickedest scientists, Dr Thaddeus Bodog Savannah, his daughter Georgia, and his slimy son, Savannah Jr., so if you're not familiar with these characters, Dr. is a grotesque-looking little bald man with thick black frame glasses. Georgia has also similar, more sort of feminine-shaped glasses, I suppose. She looks like a, one of the ladies from the far side. Mm -hmm. They both have brown hair, quite exaggerated, grotesquely featured like the father, the thick lens of their glasses, you know, and all that, making their eyes look very small. They wear identical outfits of white polonex, the chaps in black trousers, Georgia in a sort of orange checked skirt. And in this panel... Dr. Savannah is jumping up and down with delight as he proclaims, We did it, kids! <laughs> Our vortex transporter paralyzer beam snared the big red cheese! <laughs> and his daughter says, To say nothing of that witch Mary, the little red cheese. And Savannah Jr. says, And that Pratty Jr., the little blue cheese. Dr. Savannah gets a nice giggling close-up on the final panel, page four, as he says, 
As soon as I press this button, the whole lot of them will be sealed in a globe of suspendium, a compound I invented. They'll be in suspended animation forever. We'll be able to <laughs> rule the world. Rule the world, of course, being the massively successful Take That single that they recorded for the Stardust movie. And I also got a Take That tattoo this year. So there we go. All my chickens are coming home to roost yes, listeners. Full circle, there we are. In the first panel of page five, we see a single digit going forward to press a button with a zzzz as Dr. Savannah continues into suspended animation with them. I'll teach them not to interfere with me, the rightful ruler of the universe. In the next panel, Junior gives his dad an enthusiastic slap on the back, saying, Nice going, Pop! But he does it so hard that Dr. Safana's glasses go <laughs> flying off, and he falls forward and bumps into some control switches in front of him. The Doc cries, Dalt! Watch who you're slapping! And then he looks very concerned, from the back at least, in panel three, as he says, You'll knock me into the controls! Now they're jammed! I can't steer the ship! In panel four, we see their familiar green blimpy spaceship turning loops, turtling all over the place and heading towards a large blue globe which seems to be in space in front of them. From inside, Dr. Savannah cries, We're heading for the Suspendium Globe! We can't stop! And then Captain Marvel's narration for panel five reads, Then Savannah's craft hits, knocking the huge ball in which we were trapped out of its orbits. Cap's narration continues in the first panel of page six. Instantly, the ghastly suspendium put the savannas into suspended animation too. The ship had crashed near me and I found my head only inches away from savannas. No matter though, we were all held motionless. Yeah, the savannas looked like they'd been frozen in ice and there was a portal in front of Dr. Savannah's face. The glass is shattered and Captain Marvel's face is poking through, or his head is poking through, I should say. And there are radiating green circles, which is obviously the suspendium taking effect. Cap's narration continues for panel two. For nearly two decades, we orbited the sun, drawing slowly closer and closer to it. Eventually, we came to within a million miles of the blazing orb, and the heat began vaporising the suspendium. I awoke, and... Panel 2 just basically visualises what Cap's been saying, but Panel 3, it's Cap with his eyes open, as wide as they've ever been, actually, poking through the glass, and he's thinking, I can see, think, but I can't move. I guess my muscles were weakened by the long inactivity. I'm trapped. There's only one thing to do. And then he gets another close-up as he cries, Shazam! Once more, after a fifth of a century, magic lightning flashed. Yep, burst of lightning in the first panel of page seven, we see Billy Batson. Very helpfully, Billy thinks, I'm so much smaller that I can slip through this hole easily. Now that I'm free, I can switch back by saying... Shazam! And there's another burst of lightning. Yeah, but panel one shows Billy stepping through the, the broken portal, some of the glass falling away, and very amusingly, he steps onto Dr. Savannah's head. <laughs> the lightning bolt falls down in panel two, and in panel three, we see Cap flying out of the spaceship, flying around the globe of Suspendium, and he's thinking, Ah, good to be in action again, but I can't afford the time to enjoy myself. In less than an hour, that globe will be melted, and the people inside will die. He continues in panel four. First, I better rescue Mary and Junior. I'll need their help. Yeah, we see him punching into the suspendium, and Junior and Mary come flying out. In the final panel of page seven, we see Junior thinking, What? What happened? And Mary thinking, I feel like I've had a long nap. Cap thinks, I'll explain to them later. We've got to return all these folks to Earth. 
fast. And his narration continues in the first panel of page 8. The Savannas came to and escaped, but we could always catch up with the mad scientists. We always had before. Junior, Mary and I pushed the ball of suspendium back to Earth. It's a great panel. The Marvel's pushing the, the globe. And indeed, as Cap described, we see the Savannah spaceship skulking off. Then, all together now, a one, a two, a three, punch! And with a massive co-op sound effect, we see the three Marvels punching at the suspendium globe and shattering it. Cap's narration for the next panel says, Days the citizens came to, unaware that 20 years had passed while they hadn't aged a second. And we see... Faces who are probably very familiar to the regular readers from back in the day. The only people who immediately leap out at me are Mr. Morris from Wiz Radio that Billy worked at. Yes. What looks like Beauty of Savannah, but there's another caption that reads... For the identification of the Marvel family's friends, see this issue's text feature, Shazam and Son. So we'll do that very quickly. Jump to the letters page and we get sort of left to right. So we see, first of all, an older man, white hair, little curly tuft on top, wearing a suit. It's a very smart suit. And he's revealed in the key on the letters page, to be none other than Uncle Dudley. The lovable old fraud who pretends to change into a Marvel Uncle Marvel by saying Shazam actually just strips off his outer clothes to reveal a homemade costume. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Nice to see him. I imagine he'd been in the films. That'd have been terrific. <laughs> Maybe if they have another lease of life somehow in the secondary market, we'll get a third movie, but I doubt it. Yeah. Number two is revealed to be Miss Joan Jameson, who is Billy's secretary. Ah. She apparently saw Billy slip away to change to Captain Marvel and convince him that a good secretary could save him some trouble and still conceal his identity. Yes. So number three, as I say, is Sterling Morris, owner of Station Wiz. Number four is a young girl with red hair. That's Sissy Summerley, Billy's girlfriend. Number five, it's an older chap in a blue suit who has a line of dialogue where he says, Gosh, my joints are stiff. Must be rheumatism. And the old lady who's got her back to us at this point, who replies to him, she says, You're getting old, Pa. And they're revealed in the latest page to be Pa Potter and Ma Potter, Billy's landlord and presumably his wife. There's an older, another older gentleman wearing a sort of orange suit next in the lineup. He is revealed to be Professor Edgewise, an eccentric scientific genius who lives in the same boarding house as Freddie Freeman. I remember him from a couple of stories. Then it's a very glamorous blonde girl, which I mentioned a second ago, and she is indeed confirmed as Beauty of Savannah, the elder daughter of Captain Marvel's archenemy. She had a brother in one of the reboots, I think. Yes. Magnus Savannah, something like that. Did he pop up before Crisis? I can't remember. Magnificus, I think. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And then the final figure, as the head of a tiger in a humanoid body, he's wearing another large green kipper tie. And he's revealed, of course, to be Mr. Talkie Tony, Yay! the talking tiger. Love Mr. Talkie Tony. Some of these folks are bound to pop up in some of the stories that we're doing, I'm sure. So that's pretty much all we need to know about them at the moment. First panel of page nine is Captain Marvel flying through the air, looking fantastic. And he's thinking, As I said, the story is almost unbelievable. Yet, it's true. Mary and Junior have gone to search for the savannas in space. But my hunch is they headed for Earth. Savannah used to have a hideout in these mountains, and, unless I'm terribly mistaken, this is where I'll find him. And we see Cap flying towards some mountains in panel two. There's a slow dissolve. The caption for panel three reads, The world's mightiest mortal is right, for not far away. We see Dr. Savannah skimming away. George is in the background, putting a bit of chewing gum in her mouth. Dr. Savannah is saying, I wish those idiots I sent to steal the electronic parts would come back. I'm anxious to get started my new scheme to <laughs> rule the world. Another reference for that, take that song. If this was the Power of Three Doctor Who podcast, we'd probably play it with it. Mm. Georgia replies, Can't you go ahead without the parts, Pop? 
and the doctor, fiddling away at a control desk, replies, Oh, I suppose so. My death projector won't be 100% efficient. However, it should finish off most of the population. I'll start it up. And then Junior whirls a finger delightedly and says, That's our pop. We arrive at the top of page 10, though, and the caption reads, But before the evil genius can activate his devilish device, there is a massive crash. And none other than Captain Marvel flies into the building and with a massive crunch, he destroys the equipment. Georgia cries as her bubblegum pops over her face. Hey, the big red cheese. Up to your old tricks, eh, Savannah? And you're up to yours. Curse you. Oh, go on. Get it over with. Hit me, he says in the next panel, standing in front of Cap and pointing at his chin. Cap replies, Not necessary. The authorities will take care of you and your oafish offspring. And the next panel, Cap has grabbed a hold of all three of them and they've flown up through the hole in the roof, up into the sky, as Cap says, I don't think you'll get a suspended sentence. Obviously a reference to the suspended animation trouble. Mm. Doc Savannah replies, Yes, smart Alec. And Junior says, Is that all you have to say, you big red cheese? Cap replies in the final panel of the story, No. There's one more thing. It's great to be alive, right, Savannahs? And they all say... Right! Right. Caption after that reads... Next issue, the return of the nefarious Mr. Mind. Don't dare miss it. And at this point of recording, listeners, Peter hasn't seen the new Shazam or the second Shazam movie, so I can't actually say what I want to say about Mr. Mind at this point. (laughs) Uh Aha! After that, we get a text page, which has a little bit of a recap about the history of Captain Marvel that we've already discussed elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then, as I say, the rest of it is rounded out with a reprint from Captain Marvel Adventures 55. Pete, say, what do you think, then, of the world's wickedest plan? <laughs> the plan was terrible, to kill everyone in the world <laughs> so you can rule it. What, what exactly are you going to rule? Uh, you know, a lot of forestry, perhaps? He will rule the world! <laughs> it was great fun. Absolute nonsense. I can't believe Denny O'Neill wrote this. It seems so cartoonish for Denny O'Neill, but it's great. It's just yeah. a joy to read, and it's a good way to bring the characters back. So, yeah, loved it. It's a retcon worthy of Roy Thomas himself. <laughs> it's interesting, because obviously it's drawn by C.C. Beck, who'd yeah. drawn Cap back uh-huh. in the day, and it's done a very authentic sort of style. Yes. And it, it seems that, you know, contemporary sort of reports and commentary from older comics fans seems to be that there was a, a slight element of frustration with this for some people that, mm. I mean, this is obviously a year or two after the, the Green Arrow drug stories, for example. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very, it's quite a contrast that such a simplistic, straightforward story was being done. And, mm. you know, I think it's fair to say that at the time that reaction was sort of mixed to this. I mean, it's it's great, it's glorious, but it's very, very different to everything else. I mean, compare this to the, the Vigilante story we did a few weeks ago about the, the sort of racially motivated get these, get these cowboys out of town. The it's, first of our rodeo stories, yes. Yeah. It's fascinating as a sort of time capsule. It feels to me, if I'm being completely honest, really out of step with everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's joyous. Oh, it is. It's funny you should mention the Green Lantern, Green Arrow story, because can you imagine Captain Marvel bursting in saying, my sister is a junkie, and having Mary Marvel. <laughs> or even worse, no, it would be Freddy. Yeah. Huh? Cap and Mary would be looking on. I'm, let's, I'm hoping that gets homaged at some point <laughs> now that you've said that. That'd be a hilarious homage cover. Mark Wade, if you're listening... Yeah, get someone to draw that for like the v- a variant cover for issue five or something. <laughs> it's weird because, as I said earlier on, one of the first ones 
cap stories I read was issue 34, The Fuhrer of Chicago, and that's mm. drawn by Alan Weiss, and that, yeah. or is it Weiss? And the, the contrast in art styles could not be more pronounced. Yeah, yeah. It is that more, much more realistic, and I think it really suits the, mm-hmm. the characters, actually. It does, yeah. Uh-huh. It's weird because they, they will have this sort of cartoony style for the best part of the next five or six years. Yeah. So it's on the one hand you've got to admire them for sticking to the ethos and the you know the, the proper sense of the original stories. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see as we read, as we dip in and out of the series, what the reader response is and how that changes and sort of see like you know what did the people at the time think? Did they think that these stories were too simplistic, or did they enjoy them, or did they want them to be much more sophisticated and modern? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is going to be a, a generational thing, similar to your own story. Dads would be buying comics for their kids. Sure. They go into the shop and they see My Ward is a Junkie on the spinner rack and they see Absolutely. a Captain Marvel on the spinner rack beside it. What are they going to get for their young kids? Yeah. I mean, as comics grow up, you still have to cater to the full age range if you really want them to survive. That's one of the reasons why comics are in the situation they're in just now with the I declining agree. readership is that they're not hugely catering for a, a wide range. They're basically still sticking to the same people that they've had for the last 30 years. Yeah, if, if not longer. I mean, it's, yeah. it's one thing that I'm sure that you and I have talked about in real life and plenty of other people mm-hmm. have discussed elsewhere is that the success of comic book movies over the last 10, 15 years or so, that has not mm-hmm. at all translated into increased comic sales. No, nope. no, that's true. They've gunned it. They haven't, you know, they should have been, I don't know, should they have had comics on sale and cinema foyage? Mm-hmm. You know, you and I were, what, five or six, respect, you know, or thereabouts, yeah. when we had our first exposure to superhero yeah. comics. And we could pick them up and be entertained and followed. And yeah. I think it'd be almost impossible for a, a five or six-year-old nowadays yeah. to pick up a contemporary, mm-hmm. regular superhero comic and yeah. get anything from it. I mean, as a regular listeners probably know, I work in a comic shop, and the number of times that someone, teenager or younger, asks about starting points for reading, like, say, Spider-Man or something, and I'm like, sure. just looking at the shelves thinking... Well, that's part four of a story. Yep. That series is part two of a story. That's part... There's nothing that you can easily jump onto. Basically, I just go to the epic collections and say, there you go, there's volume one, great power. All the main characters are in this. All the main villains turn up in this. It's how they all start. It's a great starting point, And then you just go from there. Yeah. Comic companies just don't make it easy for people just to jump into stuff. Oy vey. <laughs> yeah. It's because the shift in the market, obviously, the failure of the falling way of newsstand distribution... Mm-hmm. The growth of comic shops and direct market, you yeah. know, targeting the more that people are coming, people that are sales have been, you know, lifelong sort of readers and collectors. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. The one sort of biggest shame, I think, about about the superhero movie being so successful is just that they didn't really build on that. Yeah. I suppose there were th- attempts like Ultimate Spider Man to try and do a series that was completely free from continuity, but that very rapidly got as convoluted as the original stuff had been. Yeah. There was DC's New 52 reboot. You know, in, in what when was it, 2011? Uh-huh. And that was, you know, just ill advised on so many levels. Yeah. For all it did about rebooting the entire universe, it, it wasn't really that accessible for new folk, I don't think. That's true. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think the quality was up to much in a lot of nope, cases. No, definitely not. It's a, it's a weird one. They obviously thought when they were bringing Captain Marvel back, I think you're right. I think they were probably first originally aiming at people who remembered them from the first time round. Yeah, definitely. With the original Captain Marvel written on the cover, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're targeting people that might remember them. Yes, definitely. One other thing I wanted to mention, sort of follows on from just what we were saying, actually. Jerry Ordway, God bless him. Jerry was responsible, obviously, for the excellent Power of Shazam stuff in the 90s. Wonderful. Jerry wrote the introduction to the, the first hardcover collection of the, the 70s, 80s Shazam stuff when that was published a few years ago. I want to highlight one panel in it. 
he talks about collectors of comics in the early 70s and such like. And there's one paragraph where he talks about Shazam issue 1 being published. When Shazam issue 1 launched, speculators were betting it would become a hot back issue seller. Mm -hmm. And a lot of copies were diverted to the secondary market. Previous couple of paragraphs, he's talked about how comic collectors as a serious thing and sort of built up in the previous you know few years. Meanwhile, DC saw the sell-through numbers in the first issue and thought they had a giant hit on their hands. Sadly, the subsequent issues dropped off in sales without the speculators. A testament to the property's appeal, however, saw the series continue through issue 35 as well as a feature in World's Finest Comics for years after. That's interesting, because obviously speculation was a big thing in the 90s, when you and I yep. were sort of mm -hmm. in our early days as proper committed hardcore collectors. You don't really think of it as something from the 70s? I'm sure I'd read something similar about some of the Jack Kirby, Jimmy Olsen stuff, and some of the later Neil Adams. Oh, really? Denny O'Neill. Okay. Yeah, that some people were buying them in bulk, mm -hmm. but the way that figures were sort of reported in those days, you know, they weren't, yeah. you know, DC weren't getting full sales figures because mm -hmm. copies were being diverted to, to people that could bulk buy them and stuff. I'm not really too sure. This All right, okay. I'm being very vague listeners, I apologise. <laughs> And possibly libelous. So I'd have yes. to go and look all that up to be sure. <laughs> it's nice to have that little window into how things were like. Speaking of which, we should probably jump to the letters page from issue three. Let's do that. So the letters column is wonderfully titled Shazam Mailbox. Of course it is. There we are. Not many letters in this. It's only a half page of letters. So we'll do them all. And the first one says, Dear Editor, so, after a 20-year absence, the Big Red Cheese is back in circulation. Strange, though, that Fawcett's once best-selling character is now appearing in a DC National mag. I remember reading about the great rivalry of Superman versus Captain Marvel. The versatile Dennis O'Neill has really filled the spectrum, from Green Lantern to Batman to Captain Marvel, from relevancy and reality to a completely fantastic character like Captain Marvel. Mr. O, I salute you. Mr. Beck, what can I say? Though not as realistic as other artists, you seem to be the ideal artist for this particular comic. Your presence in future issues would be appreciated. One question. Who is responsible for inking and lettering the art? And that's from Stephen Scheibner, Jackson Heights, New York. Editorial response reads, Both the inking and lettering on the Shazam stories are fashioned by the penciler of C.C. Beck. He does it all. Fantastic. Yep. None other than E. Nelson Bridwell. The next letter reads, Dear Editor, thought the following comment might be something you could use in Shazam. Watch out, Superman. Captain Marvel is back, and he eats mild-mannered reporters and kryptonite for breakfast. What a way to revive the old rivalry between the two magazines. Shazam is really great, but I hope you will keep Captain Marvel and Superman in separate magazines. I don't think they would wear well together. Marvel is light and cheerful. Superman is heavy and serious. That's from Peter Collinson, Mount Pleasant. MI, is that Missouri? Missouri, yes. I think it is. Editor response to that one is Revive the Rivalry? Right. Which hero will be the top seller of the 1970s? Superman or Shazam star, the original Captain Marvel? Let's make this the biggest circulation battle ever. Pick your favourite and back him, and write and tell us why he's your favourite. E. Nelson Pritwell. Awesome. And the final letter says Dear Editor, Holy moly! After 20 years, Captain Marvel returns, and with Superman on the same cover yet. Well, it's great to see the Big Red Cheese back in action again. I hope with the rest of the Marvel family. I was only nine years old when they disappeared from the newsstands, but I've seen some old original copies of their adventures. I think this magazine may bridge the generation gap. Superman is okay in his way, but it's no real comparison. The styles and stories are different, but... 
I'm sure both will survive with equal success. And that's from Bob Geddon, New Milford, New Jersey. And Nelson's reply to that one, obviously referring to issue three, says, well, we've got the whole Marvel family back in this issue, Bob. Happy. Issue three's cover is cracking, actually. It's that one of the three, really. Um, sorry. See, this is a thing. Originally, mm-hmm. and it was only really with um, the post-crisis Shazam New Beginning where they did the thing, first of all, where Billy and Captain Marvel shared a personality. Uh-huh. And the original stories, and even pre-crisis, Billy, Batson, and Captain Marvel were really different people. Yes. So I should try and make sure I'm not making a fall into that habit of referring to Captain Marvel as Billy as we read the stories. And the cover of Shazam issue 3 is Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary in their, their technicolour glory against a very stark black background. It's very, very it's effective. Stunning. It'll yes. probably turn up in the socials at some point, oh, I'm yes. sure. Yes. Retha's page is taken out with a, a contemporary subscription advertisement at DC. Quickly just want to mention some of the titles here. Tarzan, Korak, Weird Worlds, Commandy, and Sword of Sorcery. That's all quite interesting, some of the Burroughs stuff there. Mm-hmm. Science fiction you could subscribe to from Beyond the Unknown and Strange Adventures. Strange Adventures and its full Adam Strange reprint point. Um, the War Comics, you could get G.I. Combat, Our Army at War, Our Fighting Forces, Star Spangled War Stories, and of course, Weird War Tales. We will once again refer you to the Weird Warriors podcast. Indeed. Their pals Max and Rich. Mm-hmm. Romance comics, there's still a few of them at this point. There was Falling in Love, Girls Love Stories, Love Stories, Young Love, and Young Romance. Tons of mystery titles. Mm-hmm. Ghosts, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Phantom Stranger, The Unexpected. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> the Witching Hour, The Demon, Swamp Thing, Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion, Secrets of Sinister House, Weird Mystery Tales, The Shadow. And Weird Western Tales. They put the shadow under mystery. Yeah. That's exciting. Mm. Yeah, Weird Western Tales at this point was obviously Jonah Hex, and they're not really mystery. They're bloody good. But... Yeah. And obviously there's a big list of the superhero titles that were still available. And they are. Action, adventure. They don't even say comics. Just action and adventure. No. Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Superboy, Superman, World's Finest, Wanted, Shazam, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Detective, The Flash, Justice League, Mr. Miracle, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and Secret Origins. It's a fascinating look at what DC were doing at that point. Yeah, and it's also weird considering how short-lived some of these titles actually were. Well, that's exa- exactly what I was going to say. You okay. could get the fact that they, offer- they were offering mm-hmm. subscriptions to Secret Origins and, and Wanted. Yeah. Supergirl and Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane are all... Minutes away from all being cancelled and combined into Superman family. Yeah. Look at all those horror mystery titles as well. Mm-hmm. There's almost as many of them as there are superhero. In fact, there's just about as many of them yep. as there are superhero titles. And if you include the war stories and the war and science fiction stuff and that, they're obviously publishing a lot more non-superhero stuff than superheroes, obviously. Yeah. No Green Lantern title at this point. That's true, yeah. No Hawkman, no Teen Titans at this point. Blackhawk's gone, as we've said a, you know, a few years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. Might put that page up on the socials, yeah. actually, listeners, because it's quite interesting to be able to see it. I think part of this might be a knock-on effect of the relaxation of the comics code, where they could have more horror or, or outright war titles. So they did still have some, but obviously they're a bit Definitely. softer, yes. you know. Yeah. But this means that they can do something a bit more interesting and have the range, so that not just superhero fans can pick them up. So yeah, good stuff. Absolutely. Market trends, it's an interesting thing you look at. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, Mike's Amazing World site is fantastic because it lets you just, you know, adjust and just view by publisher. And it's really interesting looking at each month from yeah. the late 60s and early 70s and seeing in real time how, you know, tastes were changing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, listeners, this has been issue one of Shazam. We're going to do a few more. Mm-hmm. 
over the run. We're not going to do every issue. We're going to do the ones that either feature other Golden Age uh-huh. heroes or super significant characters. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're going to do the one when Black Adam pops up. Yes. We'll do the one when Lex Luthor appears. Mm-hmm. We'll do the ones with Minuteman and Bulletman getting mentioned and such like. Obviously, there are stories that Cap's going to pop up in and DC Presents, All-Star Squadron, JLA, etc. There's a really interesting Superman story in the next year or so. There certainly is, yes. That we'll be getting to the next couple of years, actually, mm-hmm. which we'll have a lot to talk about. But listeners, are you a fan of the original Captain Marvel? Is he your Captain Marvel? What did you think of the Shazam movies? Were you around when this comic was published? What did you think? How did you think it compared to their titles? What's your thoughts on Captain Marvel in general? Please get in touch and let us know. And to do that, you can email us at theearthtopodcast at gmail.com or you could send us a voice message on speakpipe.com forward slash theearthtopodcast. Also, make sure you follow us on social media because we're posting lots of bonus material for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for all our social media. Yeah, make sure you check out the socials because I've found so many foreign reprints of issue one. About seven or eight, maybe even more by this time, by the time this is actually released. It looks like it was, they really went for it in a lot of territories. It was a big deal, Captain Marvel coming back. If you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts and give us a review. Or even just tell your pals Tell your comic reading pals. Yeah. If you're enjoying our show, you know, spread the word. We would appreciate it. If you're feeling generous, you could go to our link tree and find our coffee page and buy Peter the price of a beverage to pay his massive electricity bill for all the editing that he had to do for the <laughs> Some Soldiers of Victory episodes. Yes. That would be appreciated. And everything. I suppose that's us. Yes, Cap and the rest of them will return at some point, but not for a little while. And on that bombshell, I've been Peter. I've been David. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon on... Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime.